If you will, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Boy, isn't it have been pretty inspirational here with the children in here uh, singing the first song with our praise team. Uh, they will actually be singing the first part of the next service also. And uh, you can probably add about another 20, 25 kids to that group because there's another group that comes in at the next hour. So we're so happy to see our ministry with children really expand. Uh, this past week, we had the MMO Christmas uh, get together. And uh, this place was full uh, with children. Children, uh, we have 92 enrolled in our Mother's Morning Out, and their families came and, and basically filled the room up. And uh, I tell you, it's just so cool to see how God is moving uh, in our ministry with children and uh, the team that surrounds them. We just have some wonderful volunteers that help make that possible, and we're so grateful for them. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. I, I cannot think of a, probably a, a time in the calendar where hope is more needed than around Christmas time. There's so many people who are going through a very difficult time when it comes to Christmas. There's those who have gone on before us and those who are with the Lord now. And, and, and let's just face it, sometimes it's hard to deal with those moments of nostalgia and everything that surrounds Christmas and traditions without those that we once had that were here with us. And, and I know for many, it can be a very difficult time. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at hope. Of course, our series is The Thrill of Hope. And so look on your outline, the definition of biblical hope. It's not wishful thinking. When it comes to biblical hope, that's not what that is. When we use the word hope in our everyday language, when it comes to the world, it is wishful thinking. But when it comes to what we're talking about, when it comes to this definition, what it is, is assured, confident, eagerly anticipated expectation. That's what hope is. A firm assurance supported by the promises of God's word regarding things that are unseen, unclear, and or unknown. There's many times when, it, when we look at hope in which there's direct promises from God's word that we can put our trust in. And from that hope comes our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to have hope. Without hope, it's impossible to have faith. Both go hand in hand. And that's what we see in Romans chapter eight. It says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not, but, that, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But, we, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And for many of us, there's where we are today. We're eagerly waiting the promises of God. For some of us, it may be the promise of heaven. For others, it may be the promise of answered prayer. For even others, it may be that you're just waiting because God gave you a word on something and you're waiting to see how he's gonna answer or what he's gonna do in and through that word. And then Hebrews chapter one, we see this connection between faith and hope. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. Again, not wishful thinking, but that eager expectation, that anticipated expectation, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so last week, Jonathan kind of uh, looked at this sermon basically through the lens of hope for the fatherless. And today, what I want to do is look at it, hope for the seekers, for the seekers. Look at the introduction. The Christmas story is filled with sub-stories of those who seem to have small roles but powerful encounters. Simeon is one who would fit 
this building, yet his story is bursting with hope. You know, we're so familiar with the Christmas stories. We, we know of Mary, we know of Joseph, we know of the baby Jesus, we know of the shepherds, the wise men. I mean, we, we have living, uh, not living nativities, but we have nativities there in our homes. And, and so we understand the dynamic of the characters. But sometimes we overlook some of those who had the most powerful encounters. Simeon would have been one of those. It's amazing. I've kind of done a little poll with people and I basically have, have basically taken a little survey. I said, you know the Christmas story, right? And they say, yeah, I know. The have you ever heard of Simeon? And some people would say, no, I don't think I know him. Well, he's right here in the middle of the Christmas story. First time I've ever taught on Simeon, but I think it's important that we see his story. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. What's happening is Mary and Joseph have made their way to Jerusalem. And just 32 days earlier, we have the circumcision of Jesus. And then 32 days after that, after that eighth day, about 40 days out, they come to present Jesus in the temple and for the purification of Mary. And so that's the setting of what we're about to read. So look at Luke chapter two, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. How many of you are already impressed with this man named Simeon? I mean, think about it. Look how the Bible describes him. I mean, he, he's just, which could mean righteous. He's, he's devout. He's, the Holy Spirit is upon him. He's one of those that, that is ready for a powerful encounter. And not only that, he's been given a promise. Now think about this, this description of him. He was just, or some translations say righteous. It means it's, it's, this is given to him because of his faith. And we saw the same thing happen with Abraham. It was reckoned unto him, his belief and his faith that he was righteous. Same thing applies to Simeon. And not only that, he's devout. What does devout mean? It literally means that he takes obeying God very seriously. He's a great example for us all. And there's something else to note here. Simeon, the name, the actual name in the Hebrew means God has heard. And it almost implies that there's a prayer. When you look at his name, you look at how it all fits together. It's that idea that maybe there was something that he desired in his life. Maybe a prayer that he, he lifted up to God. Maybe it was in the very promise he's been given here in the text. But for some reason, we hear that his name means God has heard. What has God heard? His petition, his cries whatever it looks like. But the thing that we know gives clue to the next idea of who he is. What is he doing? Well, he's waiting or looking, some translations say. They say a better definition of what this means is he's eagerly waiting or eagerly looking. And here's what we, we know from this. Every day we read that he goes to the temple. He goes to the temple and he's eagerly waiting for the one. He lived every day with anticipation that today could be the day. And this really communicates hope. Now, I want you to think about your life. Does every day in your life begin with hope? Now, think about that. The anticipation that the Lord could come that day. The anticipation of seeing what God could possibly do in and through your life. If you would just be obedient and be filled with the spirit of God in such a way that he could use you in the lives of those around you. But this is how this man lived his life. Who or what was Simeon looking for? Think about it. He never gave up looking 
for the Messiah, looking for his Redeemer. And that's really the story that surrounds this man. So the first thing I want you to notice this morning is the prophecy of hope. And we see by the, Holy, by the Old Testament, look at verse 25 again. It says, and behold, there was a certain man, a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now think about this. It was obvious that Simeon knew his Bible. It was obvious that he held to good theology, good doctrine. And he was one who basically knew that the Messiah was coming and that it was, it was predicted in the Old Testament. If you don't believe that, read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read the Psalms. All those are talking about the coming of the Messiah. When he uses the phrase or the phrase is used, the consolation of Israel, it is a phrase that describes the coming of the Messiah. It's used many times or referred to many times in the Old Testament. Now, maybe each day he thought of the words of the book of Isaiah. Someone who's devout, someone who's righteous, someone with the description this man has probably knew the Bible very well because he knew what he was waiting on. Think about some of the verses he could have been reflecting on waiting on the Messiah. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What about Isaiah chapter nine, verse six? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. Can you imagine waking up every day knowing that God has promised you that you would meet this person, that you would meet this person? And that's why he anticipated all the days of his life. So there are over 600 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. Many of them refer to his first coming. And we see that clearly in scripture. Next, we see the predicted hope, not only by the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the Old Testament, but by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is what's being tied together in this story. We've got the Old Testament prophecies, but not only that, we have the Holy Spirit who's orchestrating this powerful encounter. So look at verse 25 again. He says, it says, he was eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel and what? The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now think about that. When we read the Old Testament, that's the way we read about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. This came upon them. That's speaking to the Holy Spirit. And we find that over and over again. And we come to the day of Pentecost and what happens? Believers, those with faith, those with hope, all of a sudden they are filled with the Spirit of God the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. So when you read words like this before Pentecost, the greatest thing that we can say about this man Simeon was the fact that the Spirit of God was in his life orchestrating the things of his life. The very thing that God wants to do in and through your life to orchestrate powerful encounters for you personally. And that's what we see here in the life of Simeon. Have you ever wondered how many powerful encounters you may have missed because you were not Holy Spirit led? Have you, ever, have you ever looked back at your life? I mean, let's face it. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible implies that the Spirit of God comes to indwell us. What's his role? His role is to convict us. His role is to teach us. His role is to lead us and guide us, show us the way. 
I, I happen to believe that when we are in tune with what the Spirit of God is in, up to in our lives, when we are moving in the direction the Spirit of God is leading, when we're not grieving the Holy Spirit, that He is leading us to powerful encounters. Some may be small in scope, some may be large in scope, but many times I'm afraid that we miss it, that we miss it because we're not in what I call the Holy Spirit zone, so to speak. You see, so much of our lives, we spend about us, don't we? So much of the time, it's about us. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have gone Christmas shopping already? How many of you, uh, at times, when you go Christmas shopping, you find one gift for someone and one gift for yourself? How many of you have ever pulled that off, you know? <laughs> I mean, even in our best intentions, we go out, we're going to get mom, this perfect gift. We're going to look, oh, by the way, there's this over here. Let's, this looks good. I, I think I need that. God is leading me to this. No, I'm just kidding. But, but we do. I mean, it's all the, that interchange. But boy, when we're in what I call the Holy Spirit zone, and we're not grieving the Holy Spirit, and we're filled with the Spirit of God, there's something that he wants to do in and through us. And I believe that's each and every day whether it's to encourage the heart of a person, whether it's to talk to a person about what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. By the way, that's the greatest miracle. And you see, so many times we miss those times, but not Simeon. Simeon, every day of his life, was waiting. And if you read it carefully and you look at it in the Greek, it says he was eagerly waiting. He anticipated what God was going to do in his life each day. So we see the predicted hope by the, whole, by the Old Testament, by the Holy Spirit, but also by the prophet Simeon. Look at verse 26. It says, and, and it had been revealed to Simeon, to him, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. I mean, think about that promise. You're not going to die until you see the Redeemer the anointed one, the prince of peace, the wonderful, the counselor. I mean, you're gonna see the embodiment of God before you die. Now, I don't know about you, but I could probably have mixed reactions to that. Number one, eagerly anticipating the coming of the Messiah. I see him, does that mean I die now? <laughs> you could say that. But you know something in his mind, being Holy Spirit led, being just living every day in anticipation of the Lord, it seems like those things didn't matter. Matter of fact, we're gonna hear his testimony in just a moment. He doesn't care about his own demise. He's looking at the fact that God gave him a promise that he was gonna see the Messiah. You see, this is more proof that the Holy Spirit leads us to heavenly encounters. Can you imagine every morning Simeon goes to the temple, watching and waiting for the Messiah to come? How would he know him? I mean, don't you think he asked himself that question? God, is the heavens going to open up and there's going to be the spotlight and it's going to follow this? <laughs> How am I even going to know who it is? What should I look for? Did he know to look for a baby? Did, 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 was he one maybe looking for a young teenager or a young man? I mean, what was he looking for? No one really knows the answer to those questions. But day by day, he kept watch over the crowds coming into the temple. Simeon knew the Messiah would come in his lifetime. I wonder if he told many people about that. I want you to think about this. It's been 400 years since we heard from God as, as the nation of Israel. 400 years since they heard from him. It's almost like heaven just kind of shut its doors and, and no one's heard. 
for 400 years. But there was all this talk about a Messiah. And here's this old gentleman. We, from the Bible, it, it seems to indicate he was an older gentleman. And here he is. And, and, and he, every day he's looking for the Messiah. And I guarantee you there were others who were in the remnant, who were there, who, who were looking for the Messiah. Some were looking for the Messiah for totally wrong reasons, that for the reason to overcome the Roman Empire. Some were looking for, they had all this agenda that they had for the Messiah. But there was this one man who, who said, you know something, I just want to see him. I just want to see. Do, do you ever wonder sometimes if he was the one who prayed and said, God, don't let me die until I see the Messiah? His name meant what? God has heard. Could it be that the faithfulness of this devout, righteous, Holy Spirit man was someone that got the attention of God that wanted to fulfill a promise in his life? I mean, think about it. That's a powerful story. And again, we focus our attention on Mary and Joseph and, and the shepherds and the wise men, and those were powerful encounters also. But so many times we leave out this man named Simeon every day. Can you imagine him going around saying, hey, just want to let you know, God told me I was going to see the deliverer before I die. Don't you think there every day they saw him looking with outstretched neck, looking for the Messiah, and some of the people would walk by and say, there's that crazy Simeon sitting over there. He thinks he's going to see the Messiah before he dies. But boy, he didn't care, did he? He just kept looking. One day he encounters Look on your outline, the person of hope. And we see the child of Mary. Look at verse 27. So he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the, Christ, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. There was something that was happening. Mary and Joseph knew the customs of the law. They knew the, the requirement of the law. They had to go for the days of purification for Mary. But it's also a time in which Jesus would be presented. He was also presented at his circumcision. But here he is. And, and all of a sudden, all, everything just kind of comes together. And there is Mary. Now think about what he saw that day. The day had finally come. They looked like any normal family. There wasn't anything special about them. A typical couple, couple from Nazareth, a poor family. Some of you say, how do you know they were poor? It's because of the offering they gave when they went uh, for the purification. We'll talk about that in a moment. But think about this. Matthew chapter 1, it says, And Mary will bring forth a son, and you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's who he was looking for. This was the person of hope. Have you ever wondered how long he had to wait? We, we, from the text, we, we gather he's an older gentleman. What age was he told that he would see this? Did he wait 70 years, 75 years? Did he wait 80 years? I mean, how long did he wait? You know, it's amazing how we in our, in our mind, in our culture, we expect everything. If the promise was given, most Americans would be looking for it the next moment, wouldn't we? I mean, let's face it. We, we're not very good at waiting and persevering, but this was a man who was. This is the man that every day, for many of us, every day that would have passed by, I mean, I, I hate the knockers, but this is just our mentality. We probably would have lost more and more hope as every day that went by, it didn't happen. 
Abraham and Sarah, do you remember their story? There was a promise given to them that they would have a son. It was years later, many years later before that promise was realized. And in the middle of that, there began to be some manipulation to help God out. And we see that didn't work out well. But not Simeon. Every day, he anticipated, he waited, he persevered for the one who would be the person of hope. Next, we see not only the child of Mary, but the salvation of mankind. Look at verse 28. It says, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. He took him up in his arms. Now, I want you to imagine this. He's been waiting every day of his life or most of his life. And there he is. He's holding the son of God. He's holding deity. He's holding the redeemer, the savior of the world, the salvation of mankind. What would that be like? Again, so many times we're not blown away by scripture because we've known scripture all our lives. We've been taught the word of God. Some of you, many of you know the story of Simeon, but it's amazing how sometimes we lose how powerful of encounter it is because we're so familiar. But he is holding deity. He's holding the redeemer, the child of God. There's three things that we find in verses 29 through 32. First of all, this is not on your outline, but I want you to listen to this. Simeon won't live to see the Lord grow up. He won't see the final revelation of God through this child. Look at what we read in verse 29, or 28. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. I mean, he's basically saying, Lord, I can die happy now. I can die in peace. Every day I've been waiting, anticipating, eagerly awaiting your son, your son. Think about it. This man, he won't witness any of the great miracles. He, he won't see Jesus walk on water, feed the 5,000, raise the dead. He'll be long gone before Jesus stands before Pilate, before Jesus is stretched out on a cross, before Jesus is resurrected. But to him, it doesn't matter. He's been told he would see him. He would be introduced to him. And it's not so much about the end. We know the end will bring the redemption to mankind, but he was there doing and seeing what God had promised him. Have you ever thought about your own life? What you know that God has promised you or shown you something or there's a promise in God's word that says if you'll eagerly wait him, anticipate uh, eagerly, that's what our hope is in him, that we can count on those promises. How many of you have given up on that hope? I've met many who appear to have had done that. And, and boy, it's sad. But this is a man that never lost sight of what God wanted to show him. Second of all, we see Simeon describes Jesus. Look at verse uh, 32. He, he says, you, uh, well, verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, he will be a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Basically, when it says he'll be light to bring the revelation, it means he will be revealed to the Gentiles. He, he won't be kept just for the Jews. He'll, he'll be given to all the peoples of the earth. I mean, think about this. Simeon calls him a light of revelation for the Gentiles. This, for many people, this was a complete new thought. 
You won't find this in other songs of Christmas. We have this Mary song and she's writing it in a completely Jewish way. It's, it's all surrounds the, their, their people. Not, no, no talk about the Gentiles there. She thinks in Jewish terms. She expresses her thoughts in Jewish ways. The Gentiles are not in view. How about the same thing uh, as you look at the story of Zacharias, John the Baptist's father? You don't find him talking about the Gentiles. Again, it's through the, through the lens of the Jewish people, the cries of the Jewish people, the deliverer of the Jewish people. But nowhere in any previous song are the Gentiles mentioned by name. But then you come to the story of the shepherds and look at what you find here. Then the angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to what? All people, all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, think about that. It's expanded to include us. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? It was always supposed to be that way. When you go back to the Old Testament, did you know that the Jews were supposed to be the, uh, the, the component in which God was gonna use to reveal himself to the world? But what did they do? They took it and captured it for themselves. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing as Christians. We see another description of how he describes this Jesus, this uh, person of hope. It says, and he, the glory of your people, Israel. After all these years of all God's promises are coming true, Simeon is saying he is the crowning glory of his people, the savior of the world. That's what it means when, when he calls Jesus the glory of Israel. How about this, old little town of Bethlehem, as the song says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in him or in thee tonight. Couldn't be said any better than that. Simeon, think about it, is describing the thrill of hope from heaven, his only hope and our only hope. Next, we see the pertinence of hope. First of all, it is to astound. Look at verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken to him. They marveled. All of a sudden, there's a stranger that walks up. Is this the first time they've been marveled over what's happened? No, they, they've seen some other things happen. But every time it seems to be this affirmation of the fact that their child was special, that their child was something that God was, someone that God would use to, to redeem mankind. And, and, and they marveled and they're sitting there. This stranger just walks up out of nowhere and says these words over their child. It's not the first time. In Luke chapter two, look here. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Luke 2, 47, it says, And all who heard him, which were the scholars, were astonished of his understanding and answers. This child was blowing away people. They were astounded at him from his own parents, of those who would come and say, This is the one. To the scholars at age 12, when he was sitting there and he was confounding the scholars, how does this child know all this? Everywhere you turn, they were astounded. You see, biblical hope always astonish, astonishes because of its proximity to miracles. I mean, I want you to think about that. Some of you have miracles that have happened in your life. There's some things that have happened in your life. Maybe it was healing. Maybe, maybe it was something that took place in your life that could only be explained by God. 
Maybe it was a relationship that came back together because of a lot of prayer and a lot of grief and sorrow in your own heart and God heard you just like he did Simeon and all of a sudden God just prepared a way and that relationship was brought back together. You see, God wants to do this in all our lives to astound us, to bring us to that place where we see hope face to face. Next, we see the pertinence of hope is not only to astound, but to also reveal and expose. Now, up to this point, Mary and Joseph were encouraged. I mean, I want you to think about what the shepherds had told them, uh, what the wise men later are gonna tell them. I mean, there's all this talk about this baby. The angels came to announce his coming and Joseph had to be blown away. Man, this is, this is big stuff. Mary had to be blown away. We knew she was because we read her story and her song. But all of a sudden, there's this stranger that walks up and says these great words about that baby. But then something changes in what this man has to say about that child. And this is why his story is so important. Up to this point, Mary and Joseph were encouraged by those who spoke about this child. But what they're about to hear from Simeon is about to change everything. It's gonna change everything, how they see this child. I want you to look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Isn't it amazing? I mean, most of the time, especially in this culture back in the first century, do you know who he probably would have addressed? Joseph. I mean, think about it. I mean, it was a man's world, wasn't it? I mean, Jesus is the one who came and really uplifted the status of women. But all of a sudden, you would think this conversation would have happened between himself and Joseph, man to man, about what this baby would do. Why is that? Because this message was for Mary. You know why? Because Mary would see what was to come. What do we know about Joseph? He's nowhere to be found after Jesus' 12th birthday. There's no evidence that, that Joseph saw anything as, as Jesus is a man. Many believe he died somehow. The Bible doesn't exactly say. But at his 12th birthday and what we read there, that's the last we read of Joseph. And all of a sudden, this man is looking at the mother. He's looking at Mary. And look what he says. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. I mean, I want you to think about this. This is not words that they've heard before about this child. This, this child, here's, here's what he's saying. This child is gonna cause divisions. This child is gonna rock the world as we know it. This child stands the potential to, to bring down the whole religious system of Judaism. There's a lot at stake when it comes to this child. The gospel of John, the gospel of John writes it this way. Look at John chapter one here on the screen. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He has come to his own, okay? And his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It was God who was orchestrating that salvation. And the word became flesh. That's what Simeon was holding that day. That word, the deity of God became flesh, dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Simeon knew exactly what he was holding. He knew what was holding. He knew what was at stake. And the glory of the only begotten of the father was full of what? Grace and truth. 
The great encounters that would follow, that would come from God in the future, would come through whom? That child that he was holding. All the great encounters, all the powerful encounters were wrapped up in that child. He would be the one that would provide salvation. He would be the one that would, would be the redeemer of mankind. Simeon knew what was at stake. And that's the reason we shouldn't leave him out of the story. He's the one that puts it on the, on the shelf for, so to speak. Jesus in his own words wrote, said this in John 3. He who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Another thing, Luke chapter 12 says it this way. Do you suppose, this is Jesus, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather divisions. I mean, think about that. I didn't come for everyone to have a kumbaya party and everybody hug everybody. No, there's something that's gonna happen here and which you're gonna have to choose. I'm coming to reveal something. I'm coming to expose something. Then he goes on. For from now on, five in one house will be divided three against two and two against three. Right there in families, people will be divided because of this child. He goes on, father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. And this is the one we probably get. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He's saying, and Simeon's saying the same thing. Jesus is basically agreeing with Simeon. Simeon said, this child is gonna reveal things. He's gonna expose things in such a way there will be divisions. People will have to take notice. Jesus comes along and says the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Now think of this. With Jesus, there's no neutrality. No one will ever come to face to face with Jesus and remain the same. Every time you see Jesus, you will either be drawn to him or move further away. And that's what Simeon means when he says that Jesus will cause the rising of many and the falling of many. The news does not get better, does not get better for Mary. Look at verse 35. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I want you to think about this. Up to this point, they marveled at what the shepherds said. They're gonna marvel at what the, the wise men do. And, I mean, all these things, but her encounter with this guy named Simeon will change everything for her. All of a sudden, she looks at this baby in a whole different light. A baby that is here, a baby that will do this, but a baby who will be, listen, he's basically saying this child will be ridiculed. Your child will be hated. Any mom want to sign that up for their own child? Completely misunderstood. All the while trying to provide a better way for the world. And they're still going to hate him. The religious that represents everything that we know is going to turn their back on him. What a thing to say about a tiny baby. Mary, I know you're happy now, but later this child will bring grief to your heart. Today your heart is filled with joy, but later it'll be filled with sorrow. Rejoice and enjoy this time because the dark days are coming. That's what he's saying in a nutshell. Wouldn't that be horrifying for you if you were a mother? 
Everything's changed. The news. And she had to be wondering, when would that day come? What would that look like? How would this play out? Again, he's not even talking to Joseph. He's talking to the mother. She would be the one, listen, that would be at the foot of the cross one day. You remember that? She'll be the one that will that will be misunderstood about her pregnancy. She'll be the one that every place that you touch this story, there's misunderstanding after misunderstanding after misunderstanding. How many of you would sign up for what they were going through? What a responsibility. Mary, your child will be hated, despised, completely misunderstood. Think about the roller coaster Mary and Joseph would be on, the times of ridicule that lie ahead, being misunderstood, the inconveniences, and soon the fear of loss of life. All that awaited them or awaited her specifically. Think about what the baby will do. The baby will reveal those who are saved and expose those who are not. Will reveal those who are in the light and reveal those who are not. Will reveal those who have hope and expose those who do not have hope. That's what this baby's gonna do. Next, we see the pertinence of hope to astound, to reveal and expose, but thirdly, to redeem. Verse 36 introduces us to a, another, elderly, a, another elderly person who happens to be a lady, and we know she's elderly. And it's almost like this encounter is happening between uh, um, Simeon and Mary and Joseph, and they're holding the baby. It's almost like this Anna, she, she looks in on what's going on, and she adds her own part to it. Something's been revealed to her. Look what it says in verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she walked right into the conversation, basically, and, and it says, and she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, of all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. It's almost like, it's almost like she might have come up and given Mary just what she needed. First of all, Mary was astounded about what was being said about this child. All of a sudden, hey, this child's gonna break your heart because of what's gonna happen to him. There's gonna be all kinds of things that come into play because of who he represents and all that. And all of a sudden, this lady who's an onlooker, she kind of joins the conversation. But here's, here's something you shouldn't forget though, Mary. She's gonna be the redeemer of the world. He's gonna be the redeemer of the world. He's gonna set everything right for man. I happen to believe that was intentional too. I happen to believe that's exactly what the Holy Spirit was orchestrating there too. That she needed that word. Isaiah 53, look here on the screen. This is, this is some of what we're talking about. This was prophesied and this is what has, will come true in this first coming. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and, and we did not esteem him. Surely as bore our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, what? We are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We've, we've done what everyone else does. We have turned everyone to his own way. We're not only responsible for our own demise, we're responsible for each other's demises. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every bit of that he laid on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He, he, he didn't defend. He could have stood up and said, hey, I'm not the one wrong here. You are and just wiped everybody out. But he didn't do that, did he? Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. The most vulnerable place you could be and as a sheep before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Let me just say this. Hope only comes from the Redeemer. So in conclusion, in conclusion, I'll ask Wes to come and play for us this morning. In conclusion, there is hope for you at Christmas time. You say, where does that come from in this story? Oh, it's clearly marked. If you are lonely this, this year, Simeon meant to include you. If you just need that ray of hope, if you just need that, that something to get you by, to get you to understand there's better days coming and there's an eternity that awaits you, it's right there. If, you're a fam if your family has rejected you, Simeon meant to include you. If you feel forgotten, depressed, discouraged, and down, be of good cheer, Christmas is for you. Whatever sins you're holding back this year, Christmas means that you can be forgiven because Jesus came for you the one who would come to reveal and expose, but also the one who would redeem us all. So here's the application. Look on your outline. For those who are seeking the thrill of hope, it is only found in the Christmas child, Jesus Christ. Have you found hope? Not wishful thinking, but assured, confident, eagerly anticipated expectations promised in God's word in the Savior, in this child. I want you to think about this as we close. God said, I'm going to send my son to redeem the world, to bring them back to a, a, a place where they can live with me forever. How would you have done it? How would you have done it? I, I mean, it, there's so many ways you could do it. Who would have ever thought it would have been a baby? It would have been a baby. Not just any baby, a baby born of a virgin. If you miss that, you've missed it all. Born of a virgin. And how did that come about? Through the Holy Spirit. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who orchestrates every powerful encounter that we are capable of having. And right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and, and maybe the word this morning has exposed to you that, that you're not in, in a rightful place where God desires you to be, and, and maybe you're holding on to things that you shouldn't be holding on to, and you know he wants to do a greater work in you. Let me tell you who's orchestrating that conviction in your life. It's the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're a Christian and you're here this morning and you've made a lot of your life about you. When you know that God's word says, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Have you ever wondered what he meant by that? It's all wrapped up in hope. It's all wrapped up in this eager anticipation of what could happen today if we would allow God to do a work in and through us. 
Maybe you as a Christian are here this morning and you have to say, you know something? I feel like there's been times in my life where I, I probably ignored powerful encounters. I was in no place for God to use me in the way I think he desired to use me. But you know something from this new year that's about to come, this new day that's about to come, I want you to know I want to be in the place where the Holy Spirit can use my life powerfully. I don't know what that will look like. Only thing I know is if I'm in that zone where he can use me, I will know him more personally. And he will. He'll give it to you. So I'm going to ask you right now to stand to your feet, if you will. As he plays softly, here's the invitation. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as I say a lot, you, you have the greatest need in this room. And there, there's going to be pastors on the front seats here in, in this room. And we would love to talk with you about what it looks like to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're a Christian and you just need someone to pray with you that, that maybe many times you've missed it. When we talk about powerful encounters, and we, you, there's not really been any of that for you. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just awaken us that you want to do so much more in and through our lives. Give us that, Father. Father, I thank you for Simeon who taught us how to live each day eagerly anticipating, eagerly anticipating what you could do in and through his life. Lord, I pray that for all of us. Father, we thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for the thrill of hope. We thank you for the person of hope, Jesus Christ. And we just pray, Lord, that he would be real to us during this season. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. We're getting ready to, would your heads bow and your eyes closed? The pastors will be here in the front. Just take these moments to contemplate what we've said this morning. Would you do that?